Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. Thanks, Dubsy. Thanks. Welcome, everyone. Now, I'm sure most of us here today have a mobile phone. We don't go far without a mobile phone these days, do we? So I want you to grab it out for me. You grab out your mobile phone, because I'm sure you've got it handy. And no, it's, it's not to get you to put it on silent, although if you've forgotten to do that, now's a good opportunity while you're getting it out. But no, what I want you to do is grab your phone out and put it flat on your hand, like that. Just out in front of you, okay? And with your other hand, you might have to tuck your thumb underneath to do this. I want you to cover about one-third of your phone. One-third of your phone with your other hand. Right, so you're looking at two-thirds of your phone there remaining. That, very approximately, is going to be about two inches of width remaining of your phone that you're looking at. Now, some of you are just going, why didn't you tell me two inches in the first place? Because you know immediately what two inches looks like. But for the rest of us, a visual is very helpful. So there you go, two inches. That's about two inches right there. Now, I want you to imagine a rope that is the width that you're seeing. It's two inches wide, and it's 400 metres long, this rope. Now, to help you understand what 400 metres is, from here to McIntyre Road intersection, where the lights are, that is 400 metres, right? So you've got this two-inch wide, 400-metre-long rope, and this rope is stretched out across a span. Niagara Falls, no less. One side of this rope is on USA soil, fixed, and the other side is on the Canadian soil. And underneath are the raging Niagara Falls. Now, in 1859, the great French tightrope walker, Charles Blondin, walked across this two-inch wide, 400-metre-long rope above Niagara Falls. Now, he didn't just walk across. No, that was too easy. No, he did all manner of things across this rope. And thousands on both sides of the falls flocked to see him perform. And perform he did. He walked backwards across this rope. He went across above Niagara Falls in a sack. He walked across on stilts. He rode a bicycle across this rope. And he pushed a wheelbarrow. It's amazing, isn't it? And he even carried a table and chair and set them up halfway. He's in the middle of Niagara Falls. And he sets it up and he eats an omelette. He eats an omelette. That omelette would be coming straight back up if that was me in the middle of the rope. I wouldn't be holding that thing down. Now, I don't know if that was a Ridge-Ditch photo there, if that's an original photo, but it gives you an idea of what it must have looked like. Can you imagine being in the crowd the thousands that have thronged to see him perform these stunts. Can you imagine being there, seeing it with your own eyes? I mean, you're not hearing about this from your neighbour whose best friend heard it from their cousin whose crazy uncle was there. No, you've wormed your way to the front of this crowd and you're seeing it with your own eyes. And this guy is amazing. He can do whatever he wants on this rope, whatever he wants. I believe. I'm a believer. Do you believe too? 
because you're a witness to all of this. But then he asks for a volunteer. Now he's just pushed a wheelbarrow, an empty wheelbarrow, across the road. And when he steps off the other side, he asks for a volunteer to get into the wheelbarrow and he'll push them back the other way. No way, I just heard. I'm with you. No way, not me. I am not getting into that wheelbarrow. And not anyone else in the crowd either. Not one person took up his invitation. Despite seeing him perform all manner of stunts across several weeks, not one person got into the wheelbarrow. You see, the crowd believed, but they didn't trust Blondin. Now, there can be some confusion at times between trust and faith. What is the difference between trust and faith? Is there a difference? In our modern English language, faith is a noun and trust is a verb. Faith is a thing. We name it as something we have. Whereas trust, on the other hand, is an action. It's a doing word. And we see this in the story of Blondin and the wheelbarrow. The crowd had faith that Blondin could do it. It's reported that after he had pushed the wheelbarrow and he stepped off, he actually asked the crowd, do you believe I can push someone across? And the crowd roared, yes, they believed, they had faith. But when it came to putting action to their faith, not one person stepped forward. They did not trust Blondin. Because you see, it isn't trust if there is no action. Because true trust is obedience. However, this distinction between faith and trust, faith is something we have and trust is something we do, it's actually a modern distinction. Because biblically, there's no difference between faith and trust. Biblical faith already incorporates our modern understanding of trust. Biblical faith, if you like, is both the noun and the verb. So the reality is that the crowd did not have faith in Blondin at all, as evidenced by their lack of response to his invitation. So we could say that the crowd believed, but we can't say that they had faith. James, in chapter 2 of his book, in verse 19, he also makes this distinction where he writes, You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So we can see that it's simply not enough to believe. We must also have faith, or in our modern language, faith and trust. But from this point forward, I'm simply going to refer to it as faith trust. The writer of the book of Hebrews also gives us a picture of what faith trust looks like. In the 11th chapter of Hebrews, the writer reminds us of people who have demonstrated great faith trust in God. If you've got your Bibles with you, maybe if you've still got your phones handy, you can look it up. Uh, but Hebrews chapter 11, starting from verse 1, I encourage you to grab out your Bibles and follow along, but come up on the screen as well. So from verse 1, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. 
By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Down to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He, disregarded, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell, after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. This is the nature of biblical trust faith. We trust what God has said absolutely, and we act on it. We live it out. Even though it might appear nonsense to others, and maybe even nonsense to us too, just as it perhaps appeared nonsense to Abraham and Sarah that God would give them a child in their old age, or nonsense to Noah when God said he would send a flood we must exercise our faith trust. And that means responding in obedience to God. As the writer reminds us in verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. We cannot believe, please God unless we do more than believe in him. Let's just quickly review what we just read there in Hebrews. It's a long passage. Abel responded to God through an offering. Enoch responded to God by walking with God. Noah responded to God by building an ark. Abraham responded to God by leaving his homeland. Moses' parents responded to God by hiding Moses as a newborn. And Moses responded to God by aligning himself with his birth people rather than with his adoptive, adoptive family with all their riches and pleasures. 
Joshua responded to God by marching around a city for seven days in a row. How's that for a genius military strategy? And Rahab responded to God by hiding the spies and helping them escape. Two and a half years ago, over a six-month period, God did a couple of significant things in my life which led me to study. And so I responded to God by resigning from my full-time position and going and studying at uh, Bible college. Now, that can sound oh so easy. It just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Say, ah, I just responded to God. (laughs) Well, I remember in the lead up to Christmas two years ago, I was wrestling with God about this. What did it mean for us as a family? I was leaving a secure full-time job I didn't have another job to go to. I I was exploring, is it full-time study or is it part-time study? And if it's part-time study, where's the part-time job to go along with it? And I remember very clearly God said these words to me. He said, trust me. And then he followed it up with these words. It isn't trust if you do not obey. These are words I still hold on to today. Probably the most common question I get asked when I tell people I'm studying at Bible college is, well, what what does that lead to? Or some form of that question. Basically, what are you going to do when you finish your study? Well, the answer to that question is rather simple right now. I have absolutely no idea. No idea at all. God has me on a journey. I don't know what the destination is yet. So I keep hold of those words that God said to me. Trust me. It isn't trust if you do not obey. And so I trust that God will reveal the next part of the the journey when he deems the time is right to do so. Last week, Dubsy spoke a great message about obedience and he encouraged us to stay the course. Many years ago now, too many years ago now, As a youth, I heard these words. Keep doing the last thing you heard God say for you to do. That's another way of saying, stay the course. Whenever I've been in doubt about what I should be doing, I I think about that. What was the last thing God said for me to do? So I ask you this morning, what was the last thing God said for you to do? For there's always the temptation to return to to what is our default. And often our default is what is most comfortable and most easiest for us. I'm sure there will come more moments in my life of trust me isn't trust if you do not obey. Particularly as I approach the end of my study. In fact, um, when I first signed up for, for study and ended up, being part-time study, so six years in duration as part-time study. I only signed up for two years at first because I thought, what if this doesn't work out? What if it isn't what I thought it was? And so only two years out of my profession, I can return to that pretty easily, full-time, if after two years, this study thing isn't working out. Faith trusting God means living out and acting upon what God has said. And our faith trusting God is evidenced by responding in obedience to God. 
It's no faith trust at all if we do not respond in obedience to God. Remember, true trust equals obedience. What about you? How do you need to respond to God today? Maybe you need to start uh, respond to God by starting to be obedient. Or maybe your response is to stay the course. Remember, what was the last thing God said for you to do? Turn away from what is your default, what is comfortable and easy, and stay the course with God. We can look back on these examples in Hebrews 11. We know the outcome. We know the outcome of these stories. And so it would be natural to think that following God is easy. The writer of Hebrews continues in verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life. Who wouldn't obediently follow God with these outcomes? Routing armies and weakness turned to strength and mouths of lions shut. But the writer goes on. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Well, there's a list of outcomes we don't want to hear about so much. You know, trusting God is not a promise of an easy, comfortable life. But the writer puts the exclamation point for all of these people in verse 39 when he writes, these were all commended for their faith. These are heroes of faith trust. And they had no certainty They had no certainty of what outcomes they would experience as they followed God and as they responded in obedience to what God put before them. We know their stories. We know how it ends for them. They didn't. They were in the moment. They were living it out. Yet they truly trusted God. They they responded in obedience to what God put before them. And so they still serve as an example to us today of what true faith trust looks like. I wonder who it is in your life who is a hero of faith trust. What legacy has been left, perhaps for many generations, of faith trust in your life? Or maybe you are here today as a first-generation Christian, the first in your family to express true faith trust in God. You can be the start. You can be the start of a legacy, a great legacy of faith trust for your family and friendships. You can be the hero of faith trust for others. Two weeks ago, Dave gave a fantastic message on God's grace and he shared about the legacy 
that his grandfather left for Dave and his family that they're living in today. Dave's grandfather, through a mighty act of God's grace, became a first-generation Christian and is the family's hero of faith trust. Every year, we celebrate as a church the legacy that has been left to us by the founders of Clovercrest Baptist Church, Pastor Doug Lawrence and those early pioneers who responded in obedience to God, stepped out and planted a church, a new church called Clovercrest Baptist. That's the legacy left to us as a church today. So I want to both challenge and encourage us as a church and individually as well about what legacy will we leave future generations. You know, 2021 holds as much uncertainty, if not even more, than 2020 did, if that's even possible. But we can still trust God. We can still respond to God obediently, even in the midst of that uncertainty. Because God is at work. God is always at work. And he will put opportunities before us. And he will put opportunities before you in 2021. Are we truly going to have faith, trust in God and climb into the wheelbarrow? Or will we return to what is comfortable and easy? I talked about legacy and being a first-generation Christian. And there may be some here today or joining us online, and you believe there is a God, but you haven't, you haven't taken that next step and truly trusted him. James writes to you when he says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. I invite you today to do more than believe there is a God. I invite you to trust him. Draw a line in the ground today. Draw a line in the ground today where you become the start of a legacy for future generations of true faith, trust in God. You may become a first-generation Christian or you may be building on the legacy of faith, trust that has already come before you. Whichever the case, don't just believe. Don't just believe there is a God. Make the decision today to put your faith, trust in him. Just as we enter into a time of just sitting before God, allowing him to speak to us, I invite you today, if that is you, if you are wanting to move from belief to faith, trust in God, then it means turning away from your own ways and choosing to follow God's ways in faith, trust. The fancy word we use for doing that is repentance. It means asking God to forgive you for following your own ways instead of his ways. When we have followed our own ways, we have done things that hurt God and hurt others too. We know about forgiveness, right? If we do something and we hurt another person, we go and say sorry and ask them to forgive us. And then we might choose never to do that again because it hurt another person. Well, that right there, that's a demonstration. That's an example of repentance and forgiveness. So just as we're sitting before God, in your own words, from your heart, tell God that you want to move from just believing He exists 
to following him in true faith trust. Ask him to forgive you for following your own ways and for the times when you've wronged him and hurt him because you've done what you wanted. You can do that now in your heart. There are no right or or wrong words to say. There is no formula you need to repeat. Simply speak to God from your heart, turning away from your own way of living and choosing to have faith, trust in God. And ask God to forgive you for the times you have wronged him and hurt him. And he does, and he will forgive you. If you have done that today, if you've drawn that line in the ground today, then we would love to cheer you on and help you. And if you're on site in the room here, just in a moment, I'm going to ask you, if you've drawn that line in the ground today, I'd ask you just to raise your hand, make contact with me, uh, eye contact with me, and uh, come and see me after the service so we can connect. If you're online with us and you've drawn that line in the ground today, then a raise a hand button has just dropped into the chat feed. If you click or press on that button, you'll connect with our online pastoral team. They would love to hear from you. So if that's you today, if you've moved from simply believing there is a God to putting your faith, trust in Him, then I'd ask you, just raise your hand now. Just acknowledge me so I know that. Thanks. And if you're online, then just, uh, yeah, hit that button now. Connect with our online team. We'd love to hear from you and we want to support you and encourage you and cheer you on. As you, as you start this journey with God and create a legacy, create a legacy for those who will come after you. And this, this word legacy, that's something, that's a word that I want to press into today as well. Two weeks ago, as I was, before I came to church, as I was just preparing and praying and, and thinking about today, this word legacy came to me. God put it on my heart. And then I came and heard Dave speak, and he spoke about his grandfather and the legacy that his grandfather left. I was like, God, what are you doing? What are you doing around this word legacy? I want us to press into that today because I want us to be a people who would climb into the wheelbarrow this year that we would not just stand on the sidelines cheering in wonder and amazement and awe at what God is doing but we would join with him get into the wheelbarrow with him in true faith, trust in all he is doing. So would you please stand with me as I pray for us?